episode 56 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 4th of February 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Yes, Phelim is ill. He's got some sort of man flu, which he caught on a business trip, like a working trip to Scotland, I think. So clearly, the uh, moral of that story is don't go to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> no, do go to Scotland. It's, it's, I've got in trouble for saying that before. No, Scotland's wonderful. I've been there several times and it's nice. Anyway, right, let's get into the news first and some stuff coming out of FOSDEM from Pine64, and that is that they are launching a tablet for $79 with an optional $20 keyboard and a $200 Pinebook Pro. And there were some other stuff going on as well, but they're the kind of main takeaways. Uh, the phone, I suppose, is the the other thing, but that's a very early stages. They had a dev kit there that was somewhat working, um, but this is is pretty good, I think. Um, the phone is particularly exciting, even though that's only early stages. I don't want to get too excited about it, but that's only going to be hundred and fifty dollars as well. I mean, there's always the asterisk that you've got the um, postage and stuff on top of it but still um good stuff coming out of pine 64 yeah the tablet looks great i mean there aren't that many tablets to choose between especially if you want something open um i still got an old nexus 10 and i'd love something like this it's convenient for 79 dollars it's like not much more than a raspberry pi screen yeah i I suspect it'll be significantly more by the time you've paid your import duty and everything but it's still going to be fairly cheap and um yeah it's a 10 inch tablet it's only 720p but it's, you know, that's not bad for the money. And especially if you could run some sort of Android on it, which there are ROMs for the Pinebook, the original 720p Pinebook. I think there's Android ROMs for that. Uh, that's good. And this is based on the same um, all-winner A64. So it should hopefully work straight out of the box. And I've got this keyboard as well, which is fairly cheap and attaches via magnets and everything. And, yeah, pretty... Um, Pretty exciting. I'm tempted to get one. Although I don't know, do I need more stuff like this cluttering up the place is the question. <laughs> I'm especially excited about the laptop. Uh, a 14-inch uh, laptop with a 1080p screen, uh, a decent amount of storage, SD card and all that sort of usual stuff, um, Wi-Fi, 4 gig of RAM, a hexa-core processor. Uh, it sounds like a really nicely specced, well, it sounds like a massive phone um, these days, I suppose, but it does sound like a reasonably nicely specced laptop, um, and it looks really impressive. The photo they've got on the on the website that we can link to, uh, looking at it from here, I would say that that was a Dell laptop. You know, the keyboard looks looks really good quality. It's got a great big touchpad. The screen, like we say, is 1080. Um, and for that sort of money, it sounds like a, a, a no-brainer to me. But is it going to be any good? Um, you've got one of these uh, previous generation laptops, Joe, and, and we've talked about it before, but remind me, is it actually any good? Well, the screen is lovely. The build quality is reasonable, and it was fairly cheap, but the processor in it and the RAM are just not sufficient to do much with in terms of daily driver. But they're claiming that this Pro version is actually going to be daily driver worthy mm. and they never said that the other one was they said it was for hackers and tinkerers and everything whereas now they're saying that this is actually going to be able to do some day-to-day stuff for you and what really excites me is that they say that you might possibly they're working on being able to upgrade the 11 inch one to the pro innards mm. which should be pretty easy to do 
Now, I posted a picture on Twitter of the insides of it uh, when I first got my pine book. I can't remember when that was. We did the uh, the episode about that. And it looks pretty hackable to me. With I'd, I'm not even sure if you'd need to do any soldering. If you do, it would be pretty minimal. So I really hope that I can just buy a module to put inside it and suddenly get way more performance because the screen on it is lovely and the keyboard's good enough and the battery life's good enough and all that. So... I really hope that they make that happen and that I don't have to then buy a second whole laptop. I haven't actually used it much at all since we talked about it on the show, so I need to dig it out and see what other ROMs are available for it now. Yeah, so on the website they talk about having a, an OS, um, uh, presumably an installable OS for, of Manjaro, KDE Neon, uh, Netrunner, FreeBSD, NetBSD, Ambient and Diet Pi. So Ambient would be would be interesting, and KDE Neon would be interesting. Um, FreeBSD is not for me, but I, I think there'll be certainly people trying it out on there. It sounds like it would make a great um, VT100 terminal for those guys. So yeah, it's uh, it sounds it sounds like it's uh, going to be a really usable machine. The specs look just spot on to me. And what about the phone then? I mean, how many times are we going to get excited about a phone and then? disappointed again but don't you think that the way they go about it is a bit different they're not kind of making a big song and dance about it they're not making this big announcement it's just kind of like yeah we're working on a phone it'll be ready soon ish and it should be about 150 dollars and it'll be running proper gnu slash linux rather than android although i think there'll probably be an android option there rather than what purism have done and made just this huge thing of it and put all this pressure on themselves it just seems like a much better way to go to me my concern with it is that um in in my view the reason that for example raspberry pi were so successful is because they had the software there in the first place um Raspbian came along and people had a, a, a go-to OS that they could install on this board, which turned it from being a paperweight into a usable computer. If Pine can come along with a with a default OS that can be installable and make this thing usable out of the gate, then I think it will be successful. If it is left to the tinkerers of the world to try and get, for example, Armbian up and running on this thing, then it will be a few tinkers here and there, but it won't ever reach sort of critical mass. It will never become as popular as it could do if they had um, a default OS. If they spent some money and some time making that OS work really well, then I think it would be successful. But we will see. If they do manage to, to get the device out and it does cost the amount of money it costs, I think it will prove very popular. But how long will that uh, interest last? And that remains to be seen. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com, and they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK, and they ship computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04 and 18.10, and they've got an ever-expanding range of desktops, laptops, and servers. I recently bought an Apollo, which is their 14-inch Ultrabook, and I absolutely love it. It's super fast, screen's absolutely beautiful, supports up to 32 gigs of RAM, nice keyboard, Absolutely perfect for my trip to America in a few months. They've also recently updated their 24-inch all-in-one called the Ares, which looks very, very nice indeed. And they've also now got an AMD-based desktop called the Hades, which has various options for Ryzen processors and up to 128 gigs of RAM, so it's a real powerhouse. And that, of course, is configurable from 16 gigabytes all the way up to 128 and that you'll find with all of their products, the other desktops, laptops, and servers, you can choose the amount of RAM and storage 
and some of the CPUs, there are various options. So you can really find anything to suit your budget from affordable kind of email browsing machines all the way up to monster machines that can do gaming and graphic design and 3D art and video editing. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's an option at checkout, a little drop down, select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. If you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, if you support us on Patreon to the tune of $5 or more, you can get an advert free feed. And uh, also, yeah, if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Well, we mentioned the Raspberry Pi there, and devastating news for me is that we will not see a Raspberry Pi 4 this year. An article on Tom's Hardware that's got an interview with Eben Upton, and he's saying, nope, it's not coming in 2019. So, uh, yeah, I was wrong about my prediction. Well, maybe. We'll see. There's still a long way to go. I think I said that at the time when you when you made your prediction. Did you? Well, that it was too early. Yeah, but they're not. They're just not a company that likes to rush anything. I mean, the Pi itself took a long time to come to fruition, and even then it was only for 10,000 units. I mean, it's a little bit like Apple and its App Store. It's, this was never planned. They never planned it to be this kind of huge ecosystem, future-defining device, but um, they've got a lot to take on board now. Well, I was right about a few things. I mean, it was pretty obvious, wasn't it, that it was going to stay $35 and that it was going to be faster with more RAM. So I, I don't know, maybe I'll be able to claim half a point or something. Probably not. One of the reasons that we can't just have that uh, new Raspberry Pi with 4 gig of RAM and a 2 gigahertz processor is that all of that power, all of that processing power, requires more electrical power. Uh, and in order to keep the, the device running on a, a you know, sipping power, not, not um, gobbling up 2 amps all the time, is that it is uh, built on these slightly older technology, proven um, SOCs, which use a lot less power, and yes, they run at a lower speed. So I think um, I think what we'll see is a new Raspberry Pi, which is a bit faster and perhaps has a, a, a different USB chipset, but I don't think it's going to be um, an enormous boost in performance or RAM, but we'll see. I hope it is, though. It was interesting to hear what he said about USB-C, Evan, saying that it's basically a shit connector compared with the older one the uh, micro USB. He didn't say that in so many words, but it's it, reading between the lines, that's what he said. But, but like USB-C is supposed to be the standard, the new cool thing. But um, he said that like, if it gets, it's it's not robust enough, it can short out and stuff potentially if it gets treated badly, which in education and stuff you would somewhat expect these pies. I mean, it's all well and good for us to have them sitting on a table nicely, but if they're in a classroom with kids, you know, spinning them around by the power lead or whatever, you could potentially have some serious problems there. And so that's why it may not have USB-C and may stick with micro-USB, which was interesting. I'd never heard that before. It sort of changed my opinion of USB-C. I also remember talking to Eben like eight years and years ago, just after the release of Raspberry Pi 1, and him saying, denying any kind of development work had been done on the Raspberry Pi 2, and then, you know, three months later, the Raspberry Pi 2 came out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping for my prediction to come true, is that this is all just a smokescreen, and actually it will come out yeah. soon, and it will be amazing. Well, I think there's... there's an, you, 
this certainly have been working on it for four years. The, the limitations with the SOC are well known, the way that the RAM's stacked and all that kind of stuff. They have to move to a different architecture and maintain the same form factor and all these kind of powering issues. And I'm certain they have been working on it. It's just, you know, I suppose when pies are selling and they, they, everything's growing, they don't have to rush. They need to make sure it's right. Yeah, and they've spent a lot of money on R&D for the existing pies. And so I suppose they want to sell as many of them as they possibly can before they put out the next one. Yeah, and they won't want to make any of that redundant. I think they'll want to build on it. Yeah, that's true. It's funny that he said with the zero, though, there's no way to make that faster. Just because of the limitations of the form factor, you'd have to make it bigger, which sort of defeats the point of it. But I think for most of the applications of a zero, you don't need it to be more powerful than it is anyway. So they'll probably just keep making those for quite a while. It kind of, it's it's just that step up from a microcontroller, isn't it? It's like if you just need a little bit, if you want to, you know, stick Python on it and do some stuff like that, then it's really useful, but you don't need the same CPU power. Yeah, or for a time-lapse camera or something like that, where you just you hardly need any power, really. Well, we'll see if I turn out to be completely wrong with my prediction or not. I'm still clinging on to hope there. But uh, let's move on and talk about gaming. And something that was quite surprising, this came out just after we um, did the last show, so it's a bit old news at this point, but Steam for Linux is now going to let you play Windows games that have not come from the Steam store with all the Proton goodness and everything, which is just that was just not really what I was expecting to hear at all, really. Yeah, it's great news. I mean, you've always been able to add games from outside of Steam to your Steam library and it'll work in things like um, Steam Play and the Remote Play and and controller configuration. What's really surprising um, to me, and I've not tried it, but is that the, the native Linux versions of some of those games that you can now run from outside Steam from their Windows versions run better than the native versions that you can buy within Steam that have basically been hacked together by their publishers. Wow. So it actually just makes more sense to use the Windows version. That's pretty terrible, isn't it? Yeah, I think it says a lot more about whatever wrappers they're using from whenever they converted the games than you know the performance of the native Linux versions. They're not, they never were native. They're likely running in some wrapper that isn't as effective as Proton. Or they're running OpenGL, mm-hmm. whereas the Windows version is running DirectX, whatever, 10, 11. Um, and then the DirectX to Vulkan calls, um, DXVK that uh, Steam, that Valve, sorry, have been sponsoring, um, you know, converts it to much lower level, much faster APIs. So I can see how that would be possible. It's It's extraordinary to consider how... DXVK works, but it does, and it works really well. I wonder what this is going to mean for things like the Epic Store. I mean, I know nothing about games, as I've said many times, but the the Epic Store is trying to eat Steam's lunch by charging the publishers less to get their games in there. And so I wonder if it means that people in Linux will be able to use games from that. Although, I don't know, maybe you'd have to get the store working in the first place i don't know i know nothing about this well we'll see i mean like Fortnite, for example which is an epic game um you can currently launch from within steam uh, and indeed it works via steam's in-home streaming Uh, i haven't seen anybody talking about getting it working under uh, proton yet but presumably people have tried when that works then we will see an enormous uh, reaction when people are running um Fortnite natively on really relatively natively on Linux, uh, but you, yes. Yeah, so anyway, you you can um, 
you can hook Fortnite into Steam at the moment, even though it uses the Epic launcher. Um, and um, EA have got their own launcher, and you know it, it is definitely the way things are going. As long as there is a way to cut through that launcher and, and run the the underlying binary, then um, then it should work. Uh, and I guess Steam would be interested in making that easy, so you don't have to jump through hoops that you should just be able to automatically detect these games and uh, and make them work. But we'll see. Now I've got a bit of an awkward question for you, Will. Uh, you've not said anything about this on air, but rumour has it you built a gaming PC fairly recently. Has that got any sort of Linux on it, or is it just pure Windows? It dual boots, but um, it spends most of its time on, in my son's bedroom, running Fortnite. So <laughs> it has a Windows. So yes, I am extremely interested in getting that running under under Linux. Um, I'm, I, I mean, he's, he's uh, you know, a, a young boy, and I'm concerned that, he could be tricked quite easily, tricked into downloading viruses and uh, malware and all that sort of stuff. So Windows updates, yeah, well, yes, and Windows updates. Although I don't know, I, I think perhaps that problem is a little bit over overstated. He hasn't complained to me about it. It's it's on twenty four hours a day. Perhaps that's why, but uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, as soon as Fortnite works, then then that's that the done deal and uh, Windows goes. All right, cool. Yeah, I suppose you'd rather have him download his malware from the Snap Store, eh? Oh. Ooh. Yes, for like five minutes before it gets removed. Um, yeah, well, okay, well, I suppose this is good news for Linux gaming, even though, um, I mean, I know that the, the Proton stuff is open source, but pretty much everything else is proprietary, isn't it? The Steam client, any of the games that are actually going to be any good. So that's probably why I don't have that much interest in it. Also, because, I don't know, it's it's for young boys. That's where <laughs> it should be living, this machine, in playing Fortnite and stuff. You should be... I don't know, reading books and watching BBC Four documentaries about 70s musicians or something. <laughs> it does raise the interesting point that people, developers may not bother with native Linux versions. Mm. Yeah, well, that's what was said at the time when Proton came out. Um, yeah. And does it really matter if it's going to work well enough? Well, no, I, I think it probably it, it's probably good for Linux gaming that um, we've seen time and time again developers saying, we were going to port our game to Linux and we tried it and this is the feedback we got from you and it's just, you know, just abuse. Um, or, well, we tried it, but there wasn't really enough people to make it worth their while, so they didn't bother. Um, this just gives them a, a route to market, which otherwise we would miss out on. And I suppose it hands off the bug reports and the complaints and everything to Valve because it's their Proton that people are using. And so if the game doesn't work on Linux, they can just totally wash their hands of it and say, well, yeah, we don't have a Linux version. And if you, if you want to use the Windows version on Linux, then, you know, use it your own risk. But also, does it mean that we lose all the tools? You know, will there no longer be a Unity editor or the same level APIs? That Will people no longer develop games on Linux even if they end up publishing them on Windows? It kind of could destroy the ecosystem and make people more, al more reliant on Windows. You're probably right. So it is ultimately probably bad news in that sense. But you just have to sort of get real, don't you? And Linux has got such a small market share. We should be grateful, shouldn't we, that we've got this Proton thing in the first place. Yeah, I am grateful. I am, I, yeah. And may, maybe games development will be in this kind of nether world between Windows and Linux and Mac OS, you know, with the same thing coming to Mac OS. Um, and, and that's fine too, if there's an open source foundation to it. 
And it could be that once Vulkan becomes the, the standard and DirectX and OpenGL and all of that sort of goes away, well, I don't know if it goes away, perhaps it will, then porting games between these um, between OSs might become a bit easier. I don't know. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $100 credit to get started and you've got 60 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast SSDs, super fast networking. And they offer various Linux distros, Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS. They've even got FreeBSD and you can even use your own custom distro if you want to. And they've got some container distros as well. DigitalOcean have got huge plans for 2019. If you go and have a look at their blog, there's a post there about all the stuff they're planning. Far too much for me to mention here, but some highlights are managed databases, loads of improvements to Kubernetes, and some new droplet types as well, because they've got CPU-optimized droplets at the moment, but they're looking at doing some memory-optimized droplets as well, just to kind of tailor the products for everyone's needs. The droplets start at $5, but they scale all the way up to just ludicrous amounts of RAM and CPU and disk space. And you can easily add either block storage or object storage to your droplets. So you can really configure it to be exactly what you need. They've got loads of one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lamp Stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. And they're looking to seriously add to that this year with an application marketplace. So again, do check out the blog for more details on that. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $100 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, well, other proprietary software that runs on Linux is firmware, specifically firmware coming from the LVFS, Linux vendor firmware service. And in what is not shocking news at all, HP have joined now. And you predicted this, Will, and I'm convinced that you had insider knowledge. I know you were mates with Hughesy. Did he let it slip to you, and that's how you knew it was HP? No, no. It, I, I, I'm trying to remember the conversation we had. I think the, the suggestion was from Hughesy that there was one more big one to, to land, and you asked me who it might be. Yeah. Um, and it's just because I am wise that I know these things, and, uh, <laughs> and HP was the, the, the most the most obvious guess. Uh, a, they are a big manufacturer, I, I think. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm perhaps making numbers up here, but I think they're like number three, um, eight uh, with Dell and Lenovo being one and two. Uh, two and three might be the other way around. Um, so this is great news. This means that the the vast majority of laptops and desktops and presumably servers at some point that are out there can now benefit from having uh, firmware updates applied from within the user session, not having to boot to some kind of crafty FreeDOS or um, you know magic boot disk thing. You can do it live from your running session, reboot, and, and have the new firmware. I think this is excellent news for, for Linux and excellent news for security. Presumably this is good news for the Ubuntu desktop team in terms of the OEM deals and stuff that you have. Being able to do these firmware updates must be very attractive to the likes of Dell. Yes, definitely. Well, Dell have been a big supporter of LVFS uh, from the very beginning, putting people, putting engineers actually on the project to to do work. So, yes, they've they've definitely seen the value in this from the very beginning. And does it maybe mean that we might see some HP laptops coming preloaded with Ubuntu? Uh, I think that the the relationship between HP and LVFS and HP and Ubuntu is uh, not directly related. 
Uh, we already have, Canonical already have a relationship with HP, and we already do have machine shipping from HP with uh, with Ubuntu on it. All right. Um, this means that if you buy one of those uh, pre-installed Ubuntu machines in the future, then you'll be able to update the BIOS without having to, you know, use one of these sort of special magic boot disks. All right, well, let's end the news with excellent news for Qt and KDE, and that is that Nate Graham no longer has to rely on Patreon and stuff to work on KDE. He's been hired by Blue Systems as a QA manager. So this is clearly something that Phalium put in. But Graham, you like KDE enough. Are you excited about this? Yeah, I think um, QA is, a, a, in the wider public, a very undervalued and vital role. Um, and it's a, it's a sign of KDE's growing maturity, I think, that the role is so important to rather than more designers or more developers that there's somebody ensuring the quality of each release is going to improve and Nate sounds like he's really on top of it he's he's got some he says he's got a lot of plans for making adding polish um, and certainly the way that he's outlined the new features in the latest release makes me genuinely maintains my excitement for KDE yeah I think it's good it's doing really well yeah you're definitely right about QA being undervalued and I just wish that more projects would take that seriously. I suppose it's kind of a bit of a luxury, though, isn't it, to be able to seriously invest in that? Because, you know, you've, you've sort of spent all your resources actually making the thing. To actually test it properly is potentially as time-consuming as making it in the first place. And I think it shows um, a level of maturity that not many open projects get to because they're always in a constant state of flux or their plans are always changing. And I think, you know, with with Plasma um, 5, KD has kind of reached a plateau of maturity where QA makes a lot of sense. And, you know, after all those years of, you know, KD4, for example, um, or KD Develop being recreated every 18 months, um, it's really nice to see KD reach this plateau and build upon its strengths. Right, I suppose with that, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks um, when hopefully be talking to Todd from Purism about the Librem 5 and things. So that is all arranged. We'll see if that all works out. But until then, I have been Joe. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Bye.